This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Coach, we're ready to play. I'm a very cheesed off John A. Tate. Cheesed off. Cheesy. We're here on the sporting record. I'm here with a very serene M. Collard. That's very nice. And a very calm and casual James Tate. Yes, I bring I bring the calming energy to this uh, rabble of a panel, and I think that's good. So we're going to talk about sports and stuff. We've got many topics. Sports and stuff. A little bit of politics of sport in there. And stay tuned for the second half of this program where we're talking to Mary Wessner about the David Beckham documentary and toxic parenting in sporting environments. Yeah, can't wait for that. That'll be that'll be a great chat to have. That is a topic close to our hearts here on The Sporting Record, mm. so we're going to give it a go. Before we get started, The Sporting Record would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Wurrung people of the Kulin Nations as the traditional custodians of the land on which we, on which we broadcast this program and on which much of our local sport is played. We'd like to pay our respects to Elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. We'd also like to pay great acknowledgement to all of the First Nations athletes who have contributed to this country's sporting life. Alrighty. Well, today I thought third week in a row, it's been a pretty interesting few weeks of news generally. Mm. So we're going to stick with the Good News Week wrap. So Good news week, eh? Yeah, I nailed that one, didn't I? <laughs> but yeah, good news week. Um, so we're just going to highlight a few lovely things that have happened in sport that make you feel good, make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. A little bit of a Ideally, tickle. Ideally, little, little tickle. Um, so the first one I want to start with is coming from the NBA, which is the men's basketball competition in the US. And it was reported this week that the NBA's Shea Flores is the first out non-binary trans referee in American pro sports. Hey, so that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. They had a um, had had a public GQ profile on Monday, in which they shared that they're non-binary and transgender. Wow! And yeah, so they're going to be um, that they started their second NBA season as a staff referee, having worked 35 games during the 2022-2023 season. They've worked at least 1,000 games in their 14-year career, becoming the first person to work championship games for the NCAA, which is the American college competition, sports competition, Mm -hmm. the G League, which is the second-tier basketball competition to the NBA, and the WNBA, which is the women's comp. So it's a, um, yeah, so Flores became an NBA official in 2022 and the league announced that two new women had joined the largely cis male dominated mm. referee roster. Um, Flores 
told GQ that hearing themselves referred to this way made them feel alienated as someone who had already privately identified as trans for a few years. Mm. So, yeah, it's just now they've, you know, obviously had a wonderful opportunity to come out during this GQ profile and announce that. And, you know, they're already working in the NBA as a referee, so they've decided to share Mm. this part of them, which is really exciting. And I think especially because there's a lot of, anti-trans rhetoric occurring and like bills and just people Mm. you know victims of hate crimes in america because of being trans so it's really nice to see transparent people just in their profession really good really competent and being like this is who i am and you know it's a part of me and so is you know being a really good basketball referee how good's that? Yeah. So, what, what a brave soul. Good, yeah. Good on you. Because in America right now, it's not the nicest place to be. No, it's mm. not at all. So, it's like, I think it is very brave to be able to share that part of them at the moment. But it's really nice that they get to refer to correctly yeah. when they go to work, too. Yeah. Um, the second part of Good News Week. Good News Week number two. Here we go. Um, the NHL is, so that's the National Hockey League also in America, is reversing its ban on the rainbow pride tape. Uh. So because ice hockey here isn't hugely um, mm. popular, we're not a very, you know, winter sports prone country. Yeah, we're not snowy. No. So in ice hockey, the end of their sticks, they always tape them up. Mm. And players had been putting rainbow tape on them just to, you know, show a bit of support. Oh, yeah. And the NHL had banned so it's in- I always find it interesting when organizations get really like stressed about rainbow colors because it seems so it seems ridiculous to ban like a set of colors like that. Mm. So literally I'm just showing you the stick there. Like oh, yeah, it's just yep, yep, yep. it it's not even like a pride flag. It's just literally different colors on their stick. But it's down on the hitting end of the stick. Down on the hitting end of the the stick. Not the holding end. So down the end of the stick, they always tape that up. So the NHL had banned players from taping it with rainbow tape. Um, But they faced a lot of backlash, which is wonderful. Um, And there was a player from the Arizona Coyotes um, called Travis Dermott, and he defied the ban. So... I think he posted, might have posted on TikTok or something. He was like, here's me taping up my stick and going on and saying stuff for you to the NHL. Go, Travis. Yeah. So um, he wrapped his stick in pride tape at a game last Saturday night. Others players later spoke out against the ban with some critics even referring to the ban as the NHL's own don't say gay policy, which is don't say gay is currently one of the bills that have been introduced to stop in, especially in schools, in I think in Florida, they're trying to stop people from talking about, um, yeah, queerness in schools and such, called the Don't Say Gay Bill. So it's been good to see, you know, a little little things like that. And the organisation backed down. And the organisation backed down. So hmm, it didn't, it took that one player and some backlash and other players talking out about it and they've reversed their decision, which is wonderful to see. Good. Really good. And it's, a, you know, it's similar to like FIFA banned um, the captains from wearing their one love or the pride armband captain mm. armband in the women's world cup so the the new zealand captain decided to wear pride colors on her fingernails and she made mm. kind of i don't know if it was a conscious effort to show them during her post-match interview when they the kiwis won their first game so mm. that was pretty cool but yeah and the last bit 
of Good News Week. Good News number three. Number three. Here we go. Um, which we may talk about later as well. Oh. But the Matildas have just sold out all their games in Perth starting uh, from tonight, yep. which means I think it's now 11 consecutive sellout games for yep. the Matildas, which is huge. 11 consecutive sold-out games by our women's national soccer team. And it's Optus Stadium. That's big. It's huge. So they're expected that more than 100,000 people are going to watch the Matildas mm. in the stadium over these three games. Mm-hmm. Um, over 50,000 for game two is expected. Mm-hmm. So it is large and the bandwagon, everybody, is still going strong. I um I posted on Instagram a like it was like you know the Matildas are back playing and posted that and I the amount I got a number of comments or like people coming back saying oh I just really needed to see this like yeah. isn't this nice because obviously a lot of people sharing things about Palestine at the moment and pro Palestine and how we can you know work in solidarity with them but at the same time I think some people were like oh it's nice to see there is some good news and like that you know the Matildas are killing it and they're back on our screens tonight from 10 p.m. Australian. Daylight saving time, Eastern Daylight Saving Time. Seven oh. PM if you're in Perth. See, yes. I was gonna say seven PM, but that's Perth that's time. Perth time. Perth ten, time. 10, ten PM. PM. Our yeah. Time. yeah. Right. And you can catch it on channel ten, I believe. Yes, yes, yes on the you main can. channel. And ten it's, play they're playing if you're it at, online. Um, HBF Park. Oh, they're tonight. playing at HBF Park. I don't yeah. know where that is. But Somewhere it's in, Perth. in Perth. And then the other games are getting upgraded to Optus Stadium. Yeah. The second game against the Philippines is at Optus. Great. Which is 50,000 or more. Yep. Uh, the HBF Park is about 20,000. Imagine them putting it there to begin with. Silly, yeah. silly. But they're playing Iran tonight, which uh, they're 63rd in the world. Yes. So they're interesting, ex- though. It's an interesting team. They're playing, you know, in hijabs, sort of the, like the, mm. the full heady, hoodie and leggings and everything. Mm. I think mm. the colour's red. That's their country colour. Mm. So that'll be interesting. And the uh, Philippines at the Optus on Sunday, 3 p.m., that's probably Perth time, uh, against the Philippines. They're 44 in the world. And Chinese Taipei is the last game. They're 38 in the world. Go Taipei. That's back at HBF Park, unless I suppose they upgrade it. Yeah. Know. It would be great if they, you know, Our upgraded. girls have actually dropped a place. They're 11th ranked now. Even after the World Cup finishing well, fourth. they only won two games. <laughs> I know they got to the semifinals. They won the correct games. But they still only won two games. That's fit. So yeah. they've dropped a spot to 11th ranking. Interesting. Uh, well, hopefully at the Olympics next year, which mm-hmm. is what all these games are yes, about, yes, getting yes. into the Olympics, mm. we can uh, have another good performance in Paris. And then off we bloody go. Off we go. Now, I have a hot take for both of you. Oh, mm. yeah. Here we go. Um, so we've seen what the World Cup has done for women's football in this country, as in soccer, mm-hmm. and the bandwagon and how it's still going. Yeah. And it's flowed onto the Women's A-League, mm. uh, record attendances already, and it's looking really healthy. And attendance and memberships and uh, sports memberships are going up. So I'm wondering, the AFLW mm. could use a bandwagon as well. Mm. You know, the AFL is not really pulling their weight and promoting this competition. They could do a lot more. So I'm wondering, could we emulate the World Cup bandwagon from the Matildas for the AFLW? And my idea is, bring back State of Origin. Oh. Right? Okay. Victoria versus the rest. Yep. Three games. One, two, three, just like they do in the State of Origin and rugby. Yep. Have it in the off-season. And everyone loves to hate Victoria. Yeah. So that's great. 
and have a state of origin for the women's. The men's don't want to do it, so stuff them. Yeah. But for the women's game, bragging rights, bandwagon, invest a lot of promotion in it. Have it, it at the G. Have it at the G. I think yeah. South Australia could hold their own as a, as a team. It could be a round robin, a tournament. Yeah. I, I think the women, if you promote this to them and say this could be a way to really invest in the game as well, we're seeing players move between clubs because it's good for the competition. There's a yeah. great culture around women's footy at the moment. I reckon... And there's space in the draw for it. Yes, I reckon there could be a bandwagon opportunity here. Yeah. What do you both think? I think so. I think it's a really good idea because there needs. I think, like you said, the AFL are not pulling their weight. In fact, I think somehow they're putting it back on the players themselves to like market themselves almost. Yeah. To you know, if you get three and a half thousand e games, we'll give you more. You know, rather than being like, here's what we can do to support you in your growth, or here's the amount of investment we're putting into marketing. Yeah. I think it's a great idea, and everyone. I think it would be quite competitive because you've got a lot of homegrown talent from places like Brisbane, um, like Gold Coast are not too bad. Uh, Frio's always been very strong yeah. and same with the Crows. So I think it could be a really strong few Maybe games. Maybe it doesn't have to be state of origin. It could just be state versus state. Could be that. Because I don't know how many of <coughs> Port Adelaide's players or Brisbane's players <coughs> – uh, have the origin Victoria, but they're playing there and in very strong teams. Yeah, mm. there's something exciting about getting the best players from a given place together. Yeah, to play somewhere else. You know that whole us versus them. You know that's great for bandwagons in sport. You know everyone would get around Victoria. We're going to beat bloody Brisbane. Stuff them. Yeah, you know that's sort yeah, of thing. yeah. That's, I like that, it. That's one thought. It's. I think it's. Hey, look, it's. Honestly, better than, than anything else the AFL's putting out at the moment. So The AFL's putting responsibility on the players, like you said, to promote the game. Yeah. They should be investing. You know, this neoliberal approach is just BS. I agree. And they're not taking the same approach with the men's. Like we talked about a few weeks ago with the collective bargaining agreement, they are putting it on to, like, the, they're, you know, inherently, like, putting growth into the men's game and, like, you know, saying, oh, by this time, the average salary will be half a million dollars because we want to invest in our male players. But they didn't take the same approach with the women's. It's it's on you to make us, like, to think, it's on you to make us be like, yeah, okay, we'll give you more or, like, we'll pay you more or give you more games, but you've got to convince us, which I think is, like, it needs to be the same approach to both on some level. Obviously, maybe the women need more support as they're still growing, but to just kind of hang them out. I think it's been like hanging them out to dry, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I had very good intentions last weekend of supporting oh, yes. the women down so, at Windy Hill. John, did you get to the footy? Did you get there? Well, no, I didn't. And this is why <laughs> oh, I'm no. cheesed is this, off. This is cheesed off, Johnny. Right? It's playing at Windy Hill, my local ground. I walk down there. I go down there to watch the VFL. I just walk in, sit down, enjoy it. Yes. But this is a fully ticketed game. Yep. I don't mind paying to go in. Yep. Actually, I'm a member. Didn't choose to be a member. They just took the money out of my account. But <laughs> never mind. I'm a member. I was happy to be a member. Great. So as a member, you'd think it'd be easy to go to the game, wouldn't you? Well, I bloody hope so. No, it's so. not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. They sent me an envelope earlier in the year. It had a sticker in it and a letter. That's yep. nice. Yeah. That's good. No membership card because they oh. don't do that anymore. I got all, one for North. Well, it's not fully cut, but it's all on your phone. It's all digital, oh, right? Oh, no. So you've got to show a barcode to get in. To get the barcode, you've got to get a 
hundred-digit number from the club, and then you type that hundred-digit number into not a hundred, it's about twelve-digit into <laughs> into Ticketmaster app, which I've got on my phone, mm-hmm. and then that's supposed to give you a barcode. Oh god! Well, it didn't work for me. It's all a bit. Silly. I'm a baby boomer. There's people older than me who would have loved to have gone to that game, and but you can't. can't get in. They can't. Because you need a barcode on your phone. Here's the thing. If things are not accessible to one group of people, they're just not accessible at all. Make like, it easy to go and yeah, I'll go. Yeah. It's like they don't want you to be there. I'll give them a $10 note and say, let me in. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So there you go. That's 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 so why you, I'm so you off. just so you stood. I watched so on just, the telly. I thought, well, bugger this. You were at the gate and you're like, oh well. No, I'll just... I didn't get that far. I didn't even get the barcode on my phone. Oh. And it was a little bit windy and rainy, so I thought, well, I'm going to watch it on the telly. Well, it's good because then you lost to West Coast. I yeah, know, so. but I would have liked to have been there. Yeah, and also that's the only way they they're not taking um, TV coverage. They're only taking physical attendance yeah. in terms of getting yeah. for games next I year. Know. I wanted to support. Cheese dog. Well, that's it. We're running out of time. We've got to get to our next segment. So we're going to go to a song now. This is uh, by one of the great local bands, Teen Jesus and the Gene Teasers. Yay. The lovely song called Girl Sports. There's nothing like a bit of girl sports, are there? Oh, what a great song. That's yeah. an absolute banger. Lo- mo- local Melbourne band, I believe. Mm. How good's that? So we're going to jump to our next segment, and we've got Dr. Mary Wessner coming onto the show, who's a lecturer and researcher at Victoria University with the Institute for Health and Sport, who wrote a, an excellent co- uh, article on the conversation about the new Beckham documentary, David Beckham, and examples of toxic parenting in that. Mm. So... Uh, welcome to the show, Mary. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me and giving us space for this important topic. No worries. So just to start off, uh, when did you come across the Beckham documentary? It's blown up in recent times, but when did you come across it? And what really piqued your interest in terms of this parenting sport angle? Three weeks ago that I watched it, so uh, probably within the first week that it came out or so. Um, and, you know, I'm obviously researching on the topic of safe sports when I watched it, you can't help but be impacted by the fans, by the coach, and just all the abuse that he experienced. But mm. 
the really poignant scene for me was when the two parents were talking and Beckham was talking. And those interactions and their different uh, kind of interpretations of the behaviors, especially of the dad, was really mm-hmm. impactful for me. And I thought spoke to a lot of the normalization of abuse in, in the name of tough love in coaching. Mm. So the article in the conversation starts off with the fact that David Beckham was copying a lot of abuse from England about getting a red card in the World Cup that led to them losing and not uh, winning when people thought they should have. And the quote from David was, I was able to handle being abused by the fans because of the way my dad had been to me, which really stands out, doesn't it? Um, So, Mary, uh, you've done some research on on this that you said. in what ways do parents can parents be toxic to their children in these sporting environments? Yeah, so I think the sporting environment overall has this obvious element of competition. And for a long time, uh, certain behaviors have been in, accepted in sport that wouldn't be accepted elsewhere in the name of performance games, in the names of getting the best out of players, out of children. And we lose sight of the fact that they are, in fact, children. So behaviors such as being overly critical, um, forcing a child to play when they're injured, excessive training, ignoring them after mm. a poor performance. If we were to do that in other contexts, say uh, in response to a test result at a school or, or a teacher throwing a book at a child the way a coach might throw a water bottle, it would never be accepted. So these behaviors have just been normalized in the sporting context for far too long. Mm, that, that, that's very true. And um the three of us on this show have all experienced some form of abuse, maybe not from our own parents, but being in sporting clubs where it's quite apparent. I know you have, John. Do you have an example? Uh, I have a few examples. Hi, Mary. My name's John, and uh, I'm a a parent (laughs) and a sporting parent. James, you've just been speaking to, is my son. Yes. So uh, I used to to take him along to footy and cricket and, 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 and tennis. And I don't look back happily as being a sporting parent. It's very stressful. <laughs> so, Mary, uh, you mentioned that um, some examples of uh, the way parents can psychologically abuse children in a sporting context. Uh, what are some more examples of types of things parents can do that really um, damage or hurt children in this environment? Yeah, so I think, uh, like I said before, a lot of, you know, Some things are black and white to us, and I think when we talk about situations where there's sexual abuse or physical violence, um, you know, that that involves striking someone or hitting someone, that's pretty readily we're able to see that that's not on. Mm. But when it comes to parenting, especially at the community level, a lot of parents play dual roles. They're often involved in the club. They're a board member. They're a coach. They're a parent. So they're playing multiple roles for their children, and, you know, This isn't meant to villainize parents by any means, because I think in a lot of ways, people are just reproducing what they grew up with Mm -hmm. and thinking that, you know, even with today's eyes, that that's okay. But these behaviors, like I said, overly criticizing, um, being forced to play while injured is a big one. We saw that a lot in our Uh. data. I think it was about one in three or one in four had experienced that as a child in Australian community sports. And and that's something that's actually glorified at the elite level. Mm. Playing through an injury is seen as as required, as necessary. Mm. You know, that's one of the peaks of your performance is, is fighting back and being resilient. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like we see that 
with um, as a rugby league fan growing up that I remember someone had a broken collarbone in a grand final and wow. was hero worshipped for for playing mm. through. But Mary, I really I love the last um, paragraph in your article that says. Despite Beckham himself suggesting it was all worth it, the evidence suggests he was successful in spite of the high-pressure home environment, not because of it. Um, I think that was a really powerful way to end the article. And I was just wondering, um, from your research and from um, your position, what do you think is helpful for kids? Like, how, how can parents be supportive and how can they encourage their kids to, you know, be resilient and competitive and be tough without, you know exhibiting these really harmful behaviours? What types of things can they do? Yes, I think, you know, it it goes back to um, workshops that we've actually run in in Tasmania with Clubs Tasmania. And the name of the workshops was Let Kids Be Kids. Mm. And I think it goes back to remembering why we want kids in sport, why kids want to be in sport. And when you ask them, it's mostly around the social elements. They, They maybe want to learn some new skills and they just want to have fun. And when you look at why and when they leave, it's usually that 13 to 15-year age, right, when things are getting super competitive, especially for girls. Mm. And they don't want that necessarily. And I'm not saying that everyone doesn't want that. But really what it comes down to is thinking, how do I support my kid in whatever they want to do? And Mm. as parents, if you want them to stay involved in sport and stay active and have all the benefits that we know sports participation can have, then it's really about asking them what they want and what they're enjoying and what they're not and not feeling like they need to stay in a a specific sport or that they need to go up to a certain level in order to be successful in that. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, I think that's a really good place to end on, especially the note that let kids be kids. That's That's pretty good. Mary, can I ask you one quick question? Are you familiar with uh, Nathan Burke's book, Best and Fairest Sports Parenting? I'm not actually. Yeah, so the uh, the ex Bulldogs player and and coach of the AFLW team, yep. Nathan Burke, he's written a book. It has only come out recently, uh, this year, 2023, and I've uh, I've dived into it a bit. I'm hoping to do a little book report on it, yeah. some stage on this program. But it's called Best and Fairest Sports Parenting, and uh, I think you'll like it. It's very good. Is it like a like a little workbook for for parents? Yes, it is. Yes, yes, and, it's written for parents, to, really. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, excellent. it's got about uh, seven seven issues that parents might need to address. <laughs> mm. Yeah, interesting. So oh, that's, that's from great. our that. uh, that's from our sponsor of the show, Melbourne Books, or member or business member. Is that right, John? Yeah, uh, your business sponsor. Yeah, perfect. So there you go, Mary. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Mary Westner. Uh, and I reckon that was pretty bloody good. Uh, that's something that we need to look at more. You know, how can we create safe environments? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great point that um, a lot of behaviours that we've all firsthand experienced, like out of nowhere, parents' behaviour just being off the throttle because it's in a sporting environment and suddenly that's okay. I mean, maybe that speaks to why certain like male professional athletes engage in really well, sometimes in criminal behavior and quite violent behavior because a lot of these were normalized as kids and they saw their parents doing it for the sake of sport. So mm. therefore maybe they're, you know, and that cycle continues. Yeah. A lot of people are talking about the David Beckham documentary. Mm. What do you think of it? I actually haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I really, I need to go and I read the article. I thought it was a great <laughs> article, but I need to, need to watch the whole thing. I watched the first episode and it was okay. It was interesting. 
I particularly like the bit where he met Posh Spice. <laughs> that's I've heard that <laughs> that's the, where I get back the doco, everyone's like, oh, wow, we're, we're even more in love with Posh than we were before, which is kind of nice. Yeah, they... Um David Beckham and Posh Spice kind of replaced the uh, the Diana and Prince Charles uh, focus of the media, didn't they? Well, true, because that was around, yeah, it would have been like Diana passed away in 97. When and Diana then passed away, they were just coming they out were as coming, a Because it was the 1998 World Cup, I think, that he got the yep. red card in. Yep. Yeah, true. But they're, they're still both alive and they're still both together. And they yeah. seem and they seem pretty happy at the moment. And That's if you nice. if if the listeners at home want to get a good example of how toxic sports fans and crowds can mm. be, the Beckham documentary is a fantastic example, and it's quite disgusting. Yeah. You know, here we've had uh, the Adam Good saga, for example, which really shows yeah. it in a British context. The way the fans treated David Beckham and treated Posh Spice, they, the things they were the saying. Same, the types of chants that they were yelling at Posh. Oh. It was reprehensible. It was really like, violent and disgusting. You and forget they're humans. Yeah, yeah. There's a dehumanizing element. and yeah. there's, uh, Sports has gotten better, but there's still a long way to go. I mean, we go to sports events today and people are still pretty violent in their demeanours. Mm. They're not punching each other, but God, it's it's... It's toxic in there, the way they it's, abuse the referees and it's players. It's scary sometimes, honestly. I a lot of work to do there. I wouldn't go to another Collingwood home game for a while, to be honest. They're well, scary. Well, yes. <laughs> I, 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 nothing against Collingwood and Carlton fans, but I tend to steer clear of those games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of history there. So we've got about a minute to go. What's on for the week and sport team? What have we got on our minds, apart from the Matildas, Matildas, of Matildas. Well, the uh, cricket in India has been quite interesting. Did yes. you watch the uh, Maxwell Century last night? I, yeah, I didn't Whoa. watch it, but I woke up to, yeah, huge. 40 ball 100. 40 ball 100, that's incredible. Which is a and, you know, new record at the World Cup level. Mm. The other week we were talking about underdogs and we were talking about Afghanistan. Mm. And I thought to myself, you know, we really need to have a deep dive into the Afghanistan women's cricket team mm. who aren't allowed to play. And in fact, they're all living here in Australia now. Yeah, that would be great. Maybe. And there's a lot of issues there. Yeah. Not to mention their soccer team. Stay tuned for the investigative powers of the sporting record. Yeah. <laughs> so that just about wraps it up for the show. You've been listening to M, John and James here on the sporting record here on 855 AM 3CR. You can listen to us anytime you want on the 3CR website. Just go to 3cr.org, uh, whatever. And the, uh, the sporting record. So, as always, new tagline, stay sporty out there, everybody. <laughs> stay sporty.